It's been an incredible 12 months in terms of the Ebola outbreak, the international response to it. What's your perspective on the past year or so? The past year has seen an unprecedented epidemic of uh, Ebola hemorrhagic fever. Uh, we never thought that it would come to that point, but for the first time ever, uh, Ebola affected three entire nations, capital cities, over 8,000 deaths and there are like 23,000 people who became infected. So that is many times more than the uh, total number of uh, previous uh, Ebola outbreaks victims. And as you were watching the situation unfold, what were your thoughts, maybe going back to the beginning of the epidemic? How did you see things unfolding? Well, first of all, it took three months before the diagnosis of Ebola was, uh, was made. And for actually a good reason in the sense that you can only find what you're looking for, and nobody expected Ebola in West Africa. And then, in addition to a very defunct health system and, and no public health uh, system in, in, in these countries. And then when it was uh, announced and I read about it, I thought, okay, this will be an outbreak like we've seen many others. And, uh, and that turned out not to be true. Uh, and I started to be very suspicious, and I had a gut feeling that this was completely different in June, when um, there were the first cases appeared in Conakry, the, the capital of Guinea, and secondly, when there were also cases in, um, you know, in neighboring countries, uh, in, in Sierra Leone and, and Liberia. So that's why uh, very early um, July, I called for a state of emergency and for quasi-military intervention, because even if the data were not there yet, my gut feeling is this is different, and we have to do something very drastic. And unfortunately, um, it took several more months before both the, on the national uh, level and um, the national community started acting. What do you think went wrong to turn this from the sort of containable outbreaks that you'd seen before into the, the outbreak on this scale? What did go wrong? Well, first of all, you have to look at the context. And uh, uh, the three affected countries come out of decades of civil war or corrupt dictatorship resulting in a lack of trust in anything that the government does, also non-functional, dysfunctional health systems. Liberia had about uh, 51 um, medical doctors uh, registered in 2010 for the whole country, so it's less than uh, one per 100,000 people. And then what's very different from Central Africa is the very high mobility of uh, people in uh, you know, throughout these three countries, and including um, in uh, the border areas. The outbreaks uh, were immediately disseminated. And above all, I think it was a slow response, denial from the side of governments and also inaction from the international community with the major exception of uh, MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières. In terms of that international response, and obviously by the end of the outbreak, we saw a lot of international attention, a lot of news headlines, a lot of money being given. What's your perspective on the way that governments did respond and non-governmental organisations responded? The first response was from uh, one organisation and that's MSF. And they've been at uh, the front lines of Ebola since uh, 1995 when there was an outbreak, the second known outbreak or the third known outbreak I should say. So in the beginning it was uh, just one organisation that was carrying all the, the burden of uh, uh, dealing with Ebola. Governments came in uh, later, um, 
And uh, now the situation is completely different. Um, I would say since um, particularly October, November, there's good leadership in all three countries. WHO has become very active. Um, the UK has massively supported activities in Sierra Leone and uh, through the military, through the Department for International Development, Department of Health, through Public Health England, uh, academic institutions. And so now I think it's, uh, um, it, it shows that international solidarity still uh, can happen. Uh, it was late, but it has had an impact because now we see a major decline in, um, in new infection and in deaths, particularly in Liberia. It's not over, definitely not. Like in Sierra Leone, in one week, uh, about 50, 60 uh, new infections. Uh, we now are fairly happy with that. It's a, a big change, uh, less, but normally this would be a cause for panic. And so we still have a, a long way to go. You went out to Sierra Leone in December. What were your impressions mm. on the ground that you saw of the response that was going on? That was uh, at a time when the response was uh, already quite well organised. You know, there were um, many uh, Ebola treatment centres, Ebola um, coordination centres, regional ones and national ones. I was impressed how well they were functioning. They were managed by the military and uh, were very efficient. What was still an issue, I think, is um, at the community level. Not all funerals were safe. We didn't see that. I was also impressed by a massive behaviour change. Nobody would shake hands. It was all touching elbows. That doesn't uh, happen overnight and, and, and show that people were uh, conscious about it. Entire regions were in quarantine. So I was uh, quite impressed with what we uh, saw. Some treatment centres were full of people, but others um, were not yet uh, fully occupied. And uh, so that was, the, let's say, the beginning of the, the peak of the, the outbreak um, in, as far as Sierra Leone is concerned. Do you think this is the beginning of the end and that the systems that have been put in place now are going to stop this kind of outbreak continuing or happening again in that part of the world? I think indeed that we are at the beginning of the end, but nobody knows how long the end will be. We can say it's the last mile, but the last mile sometimes uh, can take 100 miles, as we've seen with, uh, with polio uh, eradication, for example. And uh, um, what may continue to happen is that uh, there will be an, a long and bumpy tail with uh, an outbreak here and there around the funeral or so. What worries me is that um, both in Guinea and in um, Sierra Leone, not so much in, in Liberia, that they still detect cases of people present themselves with Ebola and they came out of the blue. Nobody knew that uh, they were contacts uh, they were not found through contact tracing and active case finding. So there are transmission chains uh, occurring underground that we don't know about. And uh, that is one aspect that I'm worried about. And secondly, is that in Guinea, there are still um, every, nearly every day incidents of violence against um, healthcare workers, against people who are uh, trying to organize safe burials and so on. And, uh, and that continues. And overcoming that suspicion and that hostility in community will be essential to stop the epidemic, particularly in Guinea. And what do you see as the priorities now for the, the governments of these countries and also for the international community? The priorities in terms of containing Ebola have shifted now. 
Whereas in the beginning, the emphasis was on um, Ebola treatment centers with um, isolation of uh, patients and uh, uh, their contacts, quarantine, safe burials. Today, the priority is really um, community mobilization. And by that, I mean also not only making people aware that um, of the, the, the risky practices, particularly around funerals, and about caring for um, yeah, loved ones who are uh, affected by Ebola, but also um, active case finding and surveillance. So we'll have to go into every single village to make sure that there are no cases, because this epidemic will only be over when the last person with Ebola is either has died or has recovered fully without having infected anybody else, because this epidemic comes from one case. It's mind-blowing when you think of it, in December 2013, and that has given rise to, uh, you know, 23,000 people infected. It's a bit similar to HIV when you think of it. HIV came also from an animal, from chimpanzee, and uh, it started also probably with one case, and uh, in the meantime, there are like well over 70 million people infected uh, across the globe. That's what infectious disease in our globalized time are about. Obviously, a lot of emphasis has been put on treating Ebola, setting up treatment centres, optimising treatment for people who are ill. Where are we now with things like vaccines and m new drugs that are being tested? First of all, I think it was right in the beginning to put so much emphasis on uh, treatment, one, to save lives, and we know that with supportive treatment, you can uh, reduce mortality from about 70% to sometimes 30-40%. But it's also not enough. That's why it's so important to test therapies like with antiviral products. We have not gone far with that. There's only one trial that has um, really shown some efficacy and on a large number of, of patients. The, uh, the others are still very early phase. and. Uh, we wasted a lot of time because of regulatory obstacles and, uh, and, and now the number of cases is declining. But I'm hopeful that we will have data that will make sure that when there's the next epidemic we can really offer some antiviral treatment. On the vaccine front, is a bit different. Pre-candidate vaccines are being um, tested in humans. They're all are through, going through phase one trials and one efficacy trial has started in Liberia. So imagine that we have a vaccine, then we can uh, particularly immunize immediately healthcare workers. And, uh, and that would change how we deal with, uh, with Ebola, because the impact of Ebola goes way beyond the people who died. Because when you think of it, uh, 9,000 deaths in um, more than a year in three countries, that's not that many. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's sad and it's, it's bad for each individual and their family and so on, but um, uh, probably more women died while giving birth or children from malaria and treated. But the impact of Ebola is because it completely undermines services, health services. Um, over Well over 500 healthcare workers, nurses, doctors, uh, people working in the lab and so on, were killed by Ebola now. So the hospital system shut down, health services shut down, and other services shut down. So that's where a vaccine would make an, an enormous uh, difference. But we first have to test it, and the school is very in, involved in Sierra Leone with preparations for a um, vaccine trial with the 
prime boost vaccine of uh, uh, Johnson Johnson Janssen, it's actually. The international community and certainly the world really started to sit up and take notice when, for example, there was someone who had Ebola in the United States and it seemed like the world kind of freaked out then and then everything really kicked into action. What's your perspective on the, the media response to the crisis? Well, after initial kind of silence of the media, we went to the other extreme, uh, certainly in the US with uh, what sometimes I thought was mass hysteria around Ebola when there were uh, Americans infected and, and appeared in, uh, in the US. On the other hand, I think that uh, the reality is, the sad reality is that um, it is these um, expatriates who became infected and were repatriated and were evacuated to the US and to Europe that really uh, generated most attention to Ebola and actually, I think, made a difference in terms of um, mobilizing resources and, and mobilizing aid. And that's, it's not how it should be, but that's what, what it happened. And in terms of things like the infrastructure that's been set up there, the healthcare workers that have gone to that part of the world, in some kind of strange way, has this been a good thing? Is it actually going to leave lasting benefits for the health systems in these countries? A top priority once Ebola is over is going to be to reconstruct the health systems, the health services. Yeah, let's hope that the, uh, the aid for Ebola will be a foundation for that. But I'm not completely convinced of it. I mean, one, um, a lot was uh, staffed by expatriates who may no longer be there. Two, um, I've been wondering, the, the Ebola treatment centers that were built Will anybody want to go in there? Will they be accepted? There's so much stigma around Ebola, so much fear. And even if it's 100% safe, will people go there? I don't know. I mean, that's the kind of question we have. But now it's really important to invest finally in uh, good health services and also public health system. Um, because um, health services, they're there for treating patients, taking care of uh, you know children, women, men. But we also need a public health system that, that organizes surveillance that for early detection of the next epidemic, that organizes prevention, that, that messages, and so on. And, uh, and so that will require investment. And it's not only the health services. Let's not forget that that needs repair. I mean, let's not forget that schools were closed for a long time, for more than half a year. University... You know, many people lost their jobs, uh, businesses went bankrupt and so on. So there's a lot of work to be done. In terms of thinking about the communities that have been affected and how people's culture and behaviour might change, do you still see that there's work to be done, maybe educating people, getting messages out and counteracting some of perhaps the conspiracies and the, the myths that have been spreading in these countries about the disease? There's an incredible epidemic of rumours about Ebola conspiracy theories, that this is the CIA that produced it. I mean, it's always the same stories, eh? whatever uh, comes up, uh, that's uh, in terms of conspiracies. And, and, and dealing with that is not easy and, and will require, I think, equally sophisticated, like social media campaigns. There are also um, realities of traditional customs, like uh, around funerals, that are um, very risky. And where one has to think through, is that changeable as a culture? Every um, society has ways of uh, saying farewell to loved ones when they die. And I think that's very important uh, in life. Making that safe is going to be extremely important uh, for, in terms of work. Yeah. You were the first person to discover Ebola. 
How have you seen maybe attitudes to the disease change? Have you seen the disease and its response changing over the intervening decades? I was part of the team that uh, discovered Ebola virus in 1976. And then afterwards, we also um, investigated the first known epidemic and identified how um, this virus is transmitted. And, and that's still the basis for our understanding of Ebola. After a while, I didn't think it would ever um, give rise to such a big epidemic because, frankly, basically, Ebola is fairly easy to contain. It requires very direct contact with body fluids, um, so it's not airborne, for example. Patients die within a week or two at the most, so the, the time to infect someone else is very limited. Um, except for fun around funerals, the number of contacts is limited. So it is um, a real surprise that this uh, such a big outbreak and such a big epidemic. I must say that um, what has not changed is the stigma associated with it, the stigma based on fear. And we see that now with uh, survivors of uh, Ebola who um, cannot go back to their family, they don't want them. We even see it here of um, you know, volunteers who went to uh, West Africa and uh, some have told me that uh, they're not that welcome in their family and so on. So it's based on fear and if people don't fully understand how it is transmitted that, um, you know, I can, I can understand that. But that stigma uh, and that fear is, uh, that can be extreme. You said that when you first started noticing the signs of the current outbreak starting, you just had a hunch that something bad was going on. Do you have any feelings about where the potential next outbreaks for Ebola could come from? We think that the virus reservoir of Ebola is some kind of fruit-eating bat. Researchers at Oxford have mapped out where these bats are occurring, and it's basically Central Africa and then along the coast of West Africa. And so it's most probably probable that um, the next epidemic will be there. All previous epidemic except this one occurred in Central Africa, uh, mostly um, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in Uganda, South Sudan, Congo, Brazzaville and Gabon. It's likely that it will pop up again there, but now also with West Africa maybe because there is uh, with a population explosion, maybe more intense contact with these bats, uh, I don't know. But it's likely that it will happen again. So that's why it is still worthwhile to invest in vaccine development, in therapeutic development, even if the uh, number of cases are going down in West Africa. And to take a slightly broader perspective, Ebola is not the only health issue affecting West Africa, and it's certainly not the only infectious disease, and it's not the only infectious disease that we in the West should be worried about. What do you consider are the major infectious disease threats that, that we really should be more aware of? When it comes to sub-Saharan Africa and West Africa, indeed Ebola is not a big issue. And up to now, Ebola was not a public health problem. Now, of course, that has changed with the, uh, the current epidemic in West Africa, but we still have major um, problems in terms of maternal mortality. Guinea, um, Liberia, particularly Sierra Leone, are uh, among the countries in the world with the highest rates of deaths among women while they're delivering, of under five mortality in children, and also have very high rates of malaria, tuberculosis, and uh, to a lesser extent uh, HIV. 
So all infectious diseases are still really rampant, while at the same time, particularly urban populations, um, hypertension and diabetes and so on are also on the rise. So we, ha we may have a double burden of, of uh, infectious diseases and then the more modern type of non-communicable diseases. What would you like to see over the next year? You know, we've looked back on the past year of this outbreak. Where would you like us to be this time next year? First of all, we've got to eliminate Ebola from the human population. So stop this epidemic is a number one priority because as long as we've not done that, it'll be very difficult to get back to normal life. Secondly, I think we urgently need to invest in decent health services for the population, you know, and making sure that certainly people, children and so on, can be uh, treated for treatable conditions. And thirdly, getting back into public health measures, immunization rates be increased, and have a good early warning system so that when the next time Ebola hits or another virus, that we can really act promptly to avoid that it's getting out of hand as it um, got out of hand with the current epidemic. And in terms of the school's role in tackling these problems, tackling Ebola and other diseases? Our school has been very active in terms of combating Ebola. Uh, first of all, um, I called upon all staff to volunteer to go to West Africa. It was early uh, September and many have responded to that call. Secondly, we have a big role in terms of training and uh, education and so we um, issued a uh, MOOC that's a massive open online course that's for free that you can look the the website and there, there have been um, I think 25,000 or more um, people who, um, who looked at that. And thirdly, we're very active in research. Uh, social science and anthropological research in, um, in Sierra Leone and elsewhere, and two, helping organizing the um, vaccine trials. And then I think now in the next stage, uh, we will be active in helping to uh, strengthen health services and to you know, strengthen also epidemic preparedness. So a lot of work to do. I'm very proud of what our, all our colleagues have done, those who went to West Africa and still are there, and uh, you know, and those who worked very hard on the on the science, on the um, on the aid, on advice, uh, also to WHO, for example. Uh, I'm really very proud of uh, all our staff.